The holy evangelist Luke was probably my kind of man. He provides the sort of gritty details that most people would pass over in his gospel. It was so many years into this emperor's reign. This other man was governor in that place. Someone else was high priest, etc., etc. But what Luke does for us is two things. First, he fits the narrative squarely in history. The events he's about to give us actually happened. And they happened when Tiberius Caesar was in the 15th year of his reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. Luke wants to put all the cards out for us to see. He is drawing the map, explaining to us the situation of the day when God chose to interpose himself into man's history. But at the same time, he's giving us the universal dimension of this tale. Tiberius Caesar never knew or even heard of John the Baptist. But it was the willingness of Tiberius Caesar that allowed Herod Antipas to govern Galilee. And that decision gave that same Herod power to imprison and to behead John the Baptist. So when John enters the narrative for us this morning, he's calling out with the words of Isaiah, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. John's words are universal. He is not speaking to just the few Jews who have found themselves following this prophet around Israel. John is the precursor. The one who is calling was to prepare the world to receive Christ. Because the coming of Christ isn't just for those few Jews, but for Herod, and for Pilate, and for Tiberius Caesar. And knowing this, John gives the full citation from Isaiah. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Every Advent, the Church leads us through a time-tested program to prepare us to receive the Christ. On the first Sunday, she sets out the events of the end time, reminding us that we are still an expectant people. Later in the season, she will call us to focus more acutely on the joy of Christ's first coming. And we will hear again the message of the angel to Mary, announcing Christ's birth. But on the second Sunday, we are always given the image of John each year of the lectionary cycle looking at another aspect of John's ministry. And in this year, we reflect on his particular vocation. John was chosen before his birth to be the man that disappeared. His role is to call everyone to attention, to sweep the floor before the honored guest arrives, and then to depart as quietly as he came. Yet the fulfillment of this duty earns him the praise of Christ, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist, says the Lord. John does not seek personal fulfillment in his ministry. Everything he does is aimed towards giving place to Christ. His work, he, he does not do this work because it appeals to him, but because it is for this very purpose that he was conceived. John was to carry out the task to the full, even to the extent of giving up his life in the fulfillment of his vocation. And this demonstrates for us the gratuity of God, as if it wasn't already enough to create us to be so patient with us, to keep us from 
make, to make up, uh, to keep giving us ways to make up for our failings, even to give us his own son. God so loved humanity that he wants us to take a part in his work to sanctify creation. God lets the whole of creation's redemption rest on the answer of a young girl in Nazareth. And he allows John's preaching to determine the fate of many of the children of Israel. So all of those people that Luke mentioned are given to us because they have a part to play. Tiberius Caesar, Herod, Pontius Pilate, Annas, Caiaphas, Zechariah, John, all of them have their part. Some for good and some for evil. But God has determined the way that those pieces fit together. In some way, we might think it's foolish on God's part to let so much ride on human weakness. And yet he does this every day. Every day, children are born in hospitals across this state, this nation, this world. And they are born into families which may or may not be strong in the faith. Every day, people present themselves in churches seeking the Lord's forgiveness or his direction. But they find men in those churches to speak with them. That is the generosity of God towards us. He knows our weakness. He knows we are foolish. He gets it. That's why he had to send us a Christ. But he still wants us to take our part. Many great things depend on whether you and I live our lives as God wants. And maybe that's stressful to think that God loves us so much and trusts us with so much. But if he didn't, what would be the point of marriage or the priesthood or the religious life or any particular vocation? God isn't asking us to hitchhike our way to heaven. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. That's not a job for one man. And yes, that's not really the job for St. Joseph in Greenville either. Christ left us a church to mow down these hills and mountains, but the church is made of us. And so we have our part to play. These rough ways are made smooth in the home, in our places of work, in our schools. And so, yes, on one hand, we can look around the world and say that there are some things that we have to leave to the Pope or to the bishops or to the politicians. But we have our own molehills to level in Mississippi. This is not just a personal conversion. We can't limit our preparation for the Lord's return to a moral conversion. Each of us have a mission from God to preach the gospel. And we cannot be at peace with ourselves until we have won all people for Christ. And so we have to live our vocations to the full. We need parents to start being Christian parents again. It's hard to get kids to see the importance of religion right now because their parents give exception for everything. Every sport, every social event takes precedence. A recent study showed that if a child is the one to recommend that the family go to church, then 3.5% of families will follow suit. If a mother, 17% of families will follow. But if a father insists that his family goes to church, 93% of families will go as well. But where are the fathers? Out hunting, out watching a football game, We're just back at home. It's no secret that we need more priests. We're probably always going to need more priests. But more than that, we need good men to be priests. 
Men who are willing to disappear. And by that, I don't mean men who put on a false humility or on the other extreme are too timid to preach the truth. We need men who are willing to be another John the Baptist, who can rise up out of good families like Elizabeth and Zechariah, who can go out into the world not afraid of how they will be seen. Men who will preach the gospel, herald, herald the Lord's return, and then when faced with the trouble and mockery of the world, place their neck on the chopping block for Christ and disappear. But one of the greatest problems that we see in vocations work today when trying to get good men to go into the seminary is that parents particularly are not supportive of their children becoming priests or taking religious vows. It's not something that's talked about at home. Or if children express an interest, there's immediate concern about having grandchildren. Here is John the Baptist, the only son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the only son given to them in their old age after so many years of barrenness. And how does he live his life? It's brief. He goes out and dusts the road so that Christ can come, and then he's martyred. No great monument is set up. No one is running around later in the gospel talking about how good of a prophet John was. No one. That is except Christ. Among those born of women, says the Lord, none is greater than John the Baptist. And what was John's greatness? That he did his part and then disappeared. It wasn't done for him, but for God, and for God only. At this point, preparations for Christmas are in full swing in our city and in our families, and of course here at our parish. We're getting the music prepared, families are starting to figure out who has the burden of hosting Christmas this year, but our greatest preparation is that of John, to prepare a people fit for the Lord. If we do this, if the winding roads are made straight and the rough ways are made smooth, then all flesh will see the salvation of God. 